Hey everyone, John and Andrew here. Welcome to the podcast. On today's episode, lessons from the farm. The phrase of a lifetime. And great bakers make great bread. This is Obstacle Course. Let's go. So Andrew, I did it again. Um, I broke something off your mom's. Does she have a bad temper? No. Okay. She... Have you told her about the chair yet? No. <laughs> so. Well, I fixed the chair, and I think it's fairly indistingu- indistinguishable that you broke it. No, but but you know our guest today, Ian, he did kind of notice that the one arm was a little lanky. Well, yeah, he uh, unfortunately he pulled the arm off. I as tend well. to do things like this. My wife sometimes calls me a big galoot. Yep. And I think you know it's not a term of like. Well, there's some love in there, but it, but it's basically a term of just like I'm just like a big like Shrek or something. Yeah. You know, I just sort of pr- crash through the house and break things in my path. And this morning I did it again. <laughs> these, these wonderful you know pot pottered. Tea, tea mugs that we use every single week. I dropped one on the floor and it smashed into a million pieces and I felt like my heart kind of smashed a little bit. Yeah, right as our guest had pulled up too. <laughs> it was yeah, great trying timing. to get in the mode. <laughs> and you're, I think you were literally on your hands and knees on the floor when he came into the room. <laughs> I'm like, hello there, Ian. <laughs> yeah, it watch was a, your step. It was a bit fitting that the guy who's in charge of fuck-ups, Victoria, was, mm-hmm. was showing up as I broke a nice mug. Yeah, but fuck-ups happen, and if we're too attached to things, especially, if we're too attached to anything, I mean, inevitably, it's going to be gone Mm -hmm. eventually, so... It's a it's a lesson in attachment for my mom. But I was going to say, it's okay when it's mine, but I broke your mom's probably special mug. Yeah. How special was it? You were kind when you were like, oh, it's not a problem. We'll get a new one handmade. Luckily, she's not a particularly sentimental person. Oh, okay. So in this case, that's good. And you know what? There's still two remaining for now. Will she notice? Yes. Okay, so she is a detail-oriented person, yes, just, absolutely. Not, just not sentimental. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, Ian, uh, he helped create Fuck Up Nights in Victoria, mm-hmm. pardon our language, but I mean, that's what it's called, that's what so it's called, folks. we can't okay. help it. Yes, explicit yeah. filter for uh, Apple on another one of <laughs> Obstacle Course's episodes, but yeah, uh, yeah we can't help it. Yeah. He's He's also... One of the founding partners of the Roy Group, yeah, which was named after his grandfather, yeah. which we we get into at, at the beginning, and and we talk about all all things from uh, from going from the prairies to to the Big Apple to um, your Oilers. Yeah, we had a big Saskatchewan boy on on today, and and we have a lot of Saskatchewan listeners. I, I know that I'm from Saskatchewan, and the Prairie connection is strong on this podcast, and. Mm-hmm. Folks, if 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 that, if that you know, if you want to share that with your Saskatchewan friends, I know Saskatchewan, you know, folks are they're they're closer than blood, you know, like and they're they're very loyal to each other and and they're terrible football team. They're, so <laughs> they're proud of things that come from the prairies. They are, yeah. And Ian did, and he learned some work ethic for sure that helped him, but also got him into trouble. Yeah, that you talked about in this episode. Yeah, and uh, you know what else was strong. In this episode was the force so we oh, were yeah, that's true we were talking star wars we were talking oilers it was uh it was a good way to meet on some some uh some passions of our some common interests yeah and you guys might dress up and go to the movie together <laughs> right. <laughs> right yeah like... we we didn't talk about that at, at the end but he wants to see my chewbacca costume <laughs> 
how often is is like two of the three people in the room actually own Star Wars costumes and are planning to don them for the upcoming movie that or actually the movie's already been out mm-hmm. um, by the time you listen to this but yep. yeah there's some Star Wars you know and and it, it was on point too because we really talked a lot about leadership yeah and what is true leadership and obviously you know Yoda and Obi Wan get get mentioned a lot when it comes to those sort of legendary leaders mm-hmm. and, and for good reason and mentors the the mm-hmm. difference between leaders and mentors is is one really important point of conversation in this conversation mm-hmm. and why don't i just take the conversation a couple more times i did catch that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but in this discussion yeah so it's really important and i'm someone who's been interested in in mentorship and and being a mentor and also having mentors around and uh and one of the pieces that that ian brought up is how you need to admit that you need help basically mm-hmm. to to find a mentor because if if you're strutting around like you don't need you know you got this you got this figured out then no one's going to want to mentor you because it's going to be a waste of their time and uh the first step is is admitting that that you have a lot to learn well and and if you're wondering if you need a mentor here's a little exercise look in the mirror and if you see someone looking back then you probably need a mentor because that means you're alive (laughs) yeah (laughs) and we all need mentors in our Mm -hmm. life right like especially if you think you got it out then you really need a mentor yeah or you think you got it figured out is what i meant to say then you really need a mentor yeah for sure the act of surrounding yourself with the right people is it's probably the key to a fulfilled life I mean, it's not only surrounding yourself in your in your family, with your partner, with with your best friends, with people that you respect, and also in a in your organizations and and in your workplace. I mean, it's um, nothing has more of an impact on you than the people that you spend the most time with. Absolutely, yeah. There's that there's that colorful expression of you know you are the five people you spend the most time around, and it's so true. Mm-hmm. And so, how does that make you feel, Andrew? You're becoming more like me, a little bit each week. <laughs> I can I can feel it. <laughs> I still I, I don't still know if that's a good thing. Despise or... <laughs> the Oilers, though. So there's a there's a limit. But we're rubbing off on each other a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah, and and that's a good thing, and that's why, that's why we need mentors. We all need people who can just help us. And this is the thing: a mentor doesn't help you become a little more like them. They make you become a little more like yourself, mm-hmm. and this self that we're not fully living up to. And we talked a lot about that, about that activating that that part of us um, in this conversation, and the way to kind of become active in ourselves is to clear away all the shit that's blocking it. Right? Yeah, remove interference. Yeah, one of. Uh... One of Ian's mentors is is the author of the Inner Game of Tennis and the Inner Game of Golf. Yes, and his big one of his big principles is removing interference allows us to experience our own potential. Yeah, and it, it's that that piece in itself has really inspired me to to look in, in what those points of interference are. And I mean, even just last night and and yesterday, I had mentioned it to you mm-hmm. how I was. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, you were. You were like, I've been on devices all day. I'm going to go crazy. I was I was losing the <laughs> yeah. battle for my own attention, right. basically. Yeah. Uh, of so much input coming in. Right. And, and it, it was making me frustrated. Yeah, absolutely. And so I implemented last night something, a strategy that I've used before. And it's as simple as like shutting my phone off. Yeah. Like putting it on airplane mode at 
nine o'clock and not bringing it off of airplane mode until I'd completed a morning routine. Mm-hmm. And that little, like seemingly easy, obvious choice can have a great impact on, on my own well-being. Yeah. Yeah. So just, just that stillness is, is coming back to the forefront, which, which we've talked a lot about. Yeah. It's very important to get, get into that stillness in your life. Yeah. Pause before action. Thanks for listening, everyone, and uh, enjoy. It reminds me of MASH when Radar used to make <laughs> yeah. announcements. That's, That's what, This is like some good old school gear. <laughs> I mean, I know it's all new, but it's really like... Uh, <laughs> my brother's a morning show host and I always envy he has this oh, really? collection of mics at home yeah where does he do that Edmonton oh really That's oh yeah awesome. he's a character very cool super character he'd be a good uh, yeah actually guest sometime I bet okay. he's got stories yeah okay. cool oh, yeah. well That'd it be, must be, be awesome. um, that must be in the blood then because yeah. uh, <laughs> we, we we know you're a storyteller yourself so uh-huh. we'll get there we'll get to right it on. Perfect. Well, Ian Chisholm, we've uh, we've crossed paths in the past a couple of times through mm-hmm. some uh, different channels. Right on. And you, uh, you're uh, a friend of a friend of the podcast, Jason Dorland, who who made this introduction and made this happen. So thanks, Jason. I'm sure you're listening out there, Chase, and uh, and Robin probably as well. So welcome. Thanks for being here. And uh, and one place we kind of wanted to get started. Uh, and then we'll go, we'll go from there. But uh, the the name Roy Group, which is something that uh, the the leadership development program that that you are uh, a partner of and a, yeah. a founding partner, um, is named after your grandfather. That's true. And we were curious why that might be. Ah, um, a large part of our philosophy at Roy Group is about what happens when people within a system acquire an appetite to earn the word mentor. So that's context for, uh, I think my grandpa Roy was my first mentor in life. He lived in the same yard on a farm in Saskatchewan across a highway and his house and we were then across the road. And so you just got a chance to observe somebody every day the way he approached his mornings, the way he worked, the way he spent his evenings, his weekends. You just got to watch. I mean, it's the ultimate form of learning is just to notice something happening and to become familiar with a pattern. So I just learned a lot from the example of my grandpa. Uh, In terms of actually naming Roy Group, I was in Scotland at the time and uh grandpa roy got sick and it was you know it was a cancer that was going to be relatively quick acting and so there was a timeline and there was this geography so i uh, brought my son with me and had this unenviable trip of returning to canada specifically to say goodbye to this person who was just Mm. a big part of who i was everybody else just got it got to ride it out Till the end and they said whatever they needed to say but mine had this time constraint of you have four days back in Saskatchewan to say whatever needs to be said and what made that super hard is that my grandpa was a man of very very few words 
And so I wasted the first three days and 23 hours of my trip. And it came to the last hour. And I'm like, man, you have to say something. Like, Mm -hmm. you got to get over this threshold. And so I, I mumbled or choked out the fact that when we came back to Canada, Anne-Marie and I had decided that we wanted to start our own company. And I just wanted him to know that our intention was to name it after him, mm. which was supposed to somehow convey how much he had meant to me, all those things that you can't say in Saskatchewan. But <laughs> I tried to say it with this gesture <laughs> so of I'm going to start an endeavor with under your name. And uh, he said, that would be fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we still had 59 minutes left in the last hour to kind of make sure. Anyway, so that was, uh, yeah. yeah, once you make that That's promise, awesome. you pretty much have to keep it. Definitely. Well, and ah. you mentioned Saskatchewan, and believe it or not, we have a lot of Saskatchewan listeners, and I grew, ah. up, I grew up in Saskatchewan. Wow. I spent 12 years there, so I, I was curious right on. what part of Saskatchewan. Uh, near the Alberta border, outside Lloydminster, in a little town called Maidstone okay. on the Yellowhead. Awesome. I'm a Weyburn guy. Very nice. <laughs> There's another home person of the Red Wings. Yeah, home of the Red Wings, yeah. who were very good in the 80s, actually, when I, when I lived there. But yeah, I mean, you, you sort of mentioned, um, you know, the Saskatchewan way, mm-hmm. right? And, and the, there really is a way. It's a thing. Yeah, it is a thing. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, the, they'll say, thing. they'll use 10, you know, they'll use, they won't say 100 words when 10 will do kind of mm-hmm. thing, right? And or they're very four. matter of fact. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So you, you didn't get that thing. <laughs> yeah. <right now. laughs> so, so Andrew's wondering. That's maybe why <laughs> we had to leave. <laughs> Guys that take part in podcasts kind of have to leave. Yeah, so I was 12 when I left. So I learned to speak after that. <laughs> but yeah, no, that's very true. Nice. Yeah. I, I'm curious those some of those habits that you learned from your grandfather or just uh, came by osmosis maybe even um, mm. that that you've harnessed and, and applied in in your own work what what might uh, maybe one or two of those be uh, definitely his relationship with work and I don't want to over romanticize it and talk about how early he got up in the morning and how hard he worked or how big his hands were that he could, you know, like all of those things are true, but uh, he, he had a very, very like deep driving desire, not only for himself, but for everyone around him to find the work that you love doing. Mm. And if that's not farming for him, it was, he left school when he was 15 because he just wanted to work with horses and be in the field. Um, if it wasn't farming, there was no problem with that. But he did, there was a an urgency for you to find the thing that you love doing and have big days full of and weeks of and years of. That was kind of an imperative that you would find that for yourself. Um, it's interesting, the, the, the other big takeaway from his example was, didn't come clear until later, Uh, I always experienced him as kind of a really gentle, soft-spoken, just salt-of-the-earth person. And it's in conversation since he passed that he went through a life like any of us do, where there were times when he was very ambitious and drove very tough deals and was hard on people and uh, not mean-spirited. But there were times of, you know, incredible toughness and drive that that 
set some other people back. Hmm. And so in retrospect, I guess what I appreciate is that there was this softening over time that I experienced as a grandchild. Uh, and and it's funny because in, in learning that all or figuring that out in retrospect, you kind of realized part of what made him him was the fact that that edge was always there. And so a conversation with him was always focused and you didn't know why, but it was because that whole life of being a certain way was still in the room, even though he had kind of softened in the last chapters of his life. Yeah. And I mean, he just, just doing some math, mental math here, but he would have grown up kind of through that period of the thirties and great depression and, and where, where if you had to get by, you needed to have that. Absolutely. And, and it's, it's interesting because those some of those traits do get passed down that toughness and 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 strength of character that that were survival mechanisms back then really but then in today's culture maybe we don't need that quite as much and it can become problematic for us if we're i mean it's good to be tough but if we're if we're driving hard where we're where other people are falling by the wayside or and we'll get back to this, but you spoke about, um, or you have spoken about a bit of a compulsive relationship with work. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think we'll, we'll get into that, but, okay. um, that can be, you know, it, it's one of those things that can shift from a strength to a, a fault, um, if, if it's out of balance and, 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 and that relationship can be challenging. Well, and one of the things I hear about your grandpa, cause sounds similar to my dad in a way where I know my dad had very high expectations for himself and he also had those for other people. And so sometimes they can come across like that hardness and that like maybe not as kind or feely or, or, or loving, but, but it's just the expectations they have, um, can sometimes feel that way and they don't Mm -hmm. apologize for it, Mm -hmm. but it's because they hold themselves to the same standard. Mm -hmm. And so, um, perhaps another, another thing I thought about too was, you know, you talked about just, he was a man of few words, but his actions spoke mm-hmm. strongly. Mm-hmm. And that's really, you know, from, from what I've read about, you know, what you do with the Roy group, that's really one of the things you promote is it's, it's really about, you know, what you do and how that's most important in your mm-hmm. character mm-hmm. and not just about the, you know, the fancy things you say or, or right. titles or things like that. So. Right. That seems to continue your grand grandfather's legacy. Mm-hmm. So, I, uh, I want to get into the process of, of leaving that life in the farm because, um, in doing some some background reading, <clears throat> you uh, you were in New York in your early twenties and then you know jumped the pond. But yep. what was the process of going? What's in between the farm in? Uh, Western Saskatchewan to New York City because <laughs> there's uh, I'm sure there's a lot there but I'm, I'm just curious because there's there's few greater extremes at least on this continent it's of true. ours well and it seemed like you wanted to be a doctor at one point yes and that's connected mm-hmm. uh, the dream was to be a doctor because when you're 18 years old there's really only five options <laughs> right there's doctor, lawyer, teacher, stuntman, NHL hockey player. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? I mean, that, yep, that's, that's so it's true. Like ER, LA law, fall guy. You yeah. just, you're like, that's what jobs are. That's right. So, yeah, no, I, I did not get into medical school, which, you know, shocked me that I had had this goal for so long and I had worked 
pretty hard for it. I mean, I'd gotten a science degree, even though I didn't like science, which is part of the problem. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. But I made myself get a science degree, and then, you know, the door was not open at the end. And so I was at a bit of a loose end. I had worked in the summer for a company based in New York doing a program in Canada. So that is the connection. Uh, when they found out that I was at a bit of a loose end, um, I, you know, had worked hard for them part-time in the summer as the last three or four years. And so there was just suddenly an opportunity to take a hockey bag full of gear and go down to New York City. Mm. And describe what that experience was like. You know, a quintessential huge city with mm-hmm. um, with a tough exterior mm-hmm. and, and culture shock. So any memories from that, that first experience of entering New York City and, and realizing... Well, and just to be clear, uh, the company, the American Management Association, was based in New York City. So that's where headquarters was. Uh, we were based about three or four hours outside New York City in upstate New York. Mm-hmm. So I would spend... A couple days to a week every month in the city, and then our office was up uh, near Hamilton, New York. Okay, but but uh, the nice thing about being from Saskatchewan is that it travels very well. People uh, haven't met many people from Saskatchewan. <laughs> yeah, you know, the farther you get away, people are like, they need you to say it a couple times yeah. for them to be able to say it, which you just don't realize when you're from there that it sounds very northern. They're like, oh, that's way up there. And you're like, well, Mm. geographically, it's alongside all the other places (laughs) in Canada. But yeah, so I just found that um, being from Saskatchewan comes with an expectation that you are a hard worker. You're very honest. You're not greedy. You know, you're honorable in business and you're just kind of uh, there's a lot of prairie goodness that comes with the package. So that uh, I would say in retrospect uh, went down very well. Uh, in New York. And you're a huge Rough Rider fan. Although I wasn't, which was a major problem. I grew up an Edmonton Eskimos fan <laughs> ah, because see? we were yeah, so close and the Oilers were winning and the Eskimos yeah. were winning. It was the city of champions. Hey, so the I... Oilers are starting to win again, finally. <laughs> hey, no, no, they, they've never lost in my mind. <laughs> oh, hey. Do we have two Oilers fans <laughs> yeah. in the studio? And, and Andrew's maybe, a rabid Flames fan. Maybe a couple Dreamers, oh. too. <laughs> a couple Dreamers. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. When does the city of champions namesake expire? That's my question. Oh, here we go. <laughs> I think it. I think in some ways it has. I think they've changed it. It's no longer on the sign. I mm. believe that's true. Hmm. Yeah, I think but they did it'll take be it down. Yeah, we'll bring it'll be back. <laughs> what what, um, what qualities in you do you think that organization saw when they decided to to bring you down and, and uh, have you um, coaching and, and providing leadership for them? Hmm. Um, so I was 24. My job included a lot of responsibility for schedules and for picking up speakers at the airport and for uh, setting up rooms late at night. Mm. So before we, I wasn't a child protege in this work, but, uh, there was a lot of responsibility and I really, I took it. I took responsibility for way more than was in my job description, which is just the way you do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was creative. If we didn't have something that made the picture whole, I would build it. Mm-hmm. And lastly, there's always been 
a theme of having things be just so. Like, and that was a theme that went over very well there. If you could set up a meeting room and were very exact about the effect that it would have on people when they came through the door and people could suddenly realize somebody has gone to a lot of effort to set this space up so that we can do some important work in here. I don't know where. Yes, I do. Uh, I was going to say, I don't know where that came from, but. I was curious myself because that's not something that maybe you would learn on the farm. Except that's exactly where it came from. Mm. We're the only farm I know that washed their tractors after. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. No, like everything was just so on that farm. It was neat as a pin yeah. for the sake of a clear mind and that that was just simply the way we did things. Um, to your earlier point, there's a dark side to stirring an appetite that seeks to control things that way. The positive side of it is that you're committed to quality and you know the, the value of that stuff in terms of creating moments for people. Um you know, we call it the crucible, how you set things up and what food you serve and all of that actually sends a message straight to people's hearts that they're important mm -hmm. and that the work they're going to do is important. So I just, that's the positive side. It can go to a place where you become compulsive about that and all of a sudden you can't let go hmm. because things are not just so. You know, we, we haven't mentioned your father yet. And um, I wondered how your relationship with your father differed from your relationship with Roy, your grandfather. Yeah, that's, I think that's really interesting to have three generations in one yard. Mm -hmm. um, you know, his dad was on the scene. Yeah, right. And so, yeah, my dad is very much was like also a person who I watched work and... Uh, but I also saw him like kind of be in the presence of his dad. And it was clear who made the decisions and who, and my dad kind of went with that out of respect for this mm. is the guy who, who's been on this farm the longest. He's right. kind of the senior partner and I am waiting in the wings to take things over. So there was that, yeah, that was a dynamic for sure. I don't think it was easy for my dad. And did, what lesson did you learn watching that dynamic play out? Well, again, it's one of the lessons you don't figure out until after you've left it, which is uh, we put our parents up on these pedestals as if they're perfect people. And in fact, they had a very human, very flawed, very tough life that we never even noticed because they were just kind of our go-to defaults of parents on pedestals. So true, yeah. Uh, you hit... I don't know 20s 30s and you suddenly realize man they were just doing the best they could and like i'm just trying to do the best i can with my kids it really hit home when i had kids of my own i was like wow my parents were winging it hmm. and their parents were winging it even though they that's not the experience as a kid and then you catch yourself saying some things verbatim that your dad would say to you no, exactly. I mean, and then it's like oh when your wife calls you on it and it's like oh i know the shadow side of emulating people <laughs> yeah. is that you take on their patterns right? yes. that's a, that's uh yeah yeah that's part of being human yeah there's yeah. that expression that like at some point we all just turn into our parents <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i think it terrifies everyone who hears yeah, it no one's comfortable with that no one's yeah. like sweet <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's just what i wanted i've arrived right. yeah yeah okay so 
so that that time when you were 24 and soon i believe it was when you were 27 that you went mm -hmm. over overseas mm -hmm. um so what what do you think changed from from being kind of the guy behind the scenes setting everything up and, and doing the dirty work to to being in a point of of strong leadership and, and kind mm -hmm. of um controlling or Controlling is an interesting word for it, but, yeah. but making the calls and, and being a leader. Well, and if I'm really honest with myself and you guys, I would say I'm not sure I let go of one to take on the other. I just did more. Hmm. I just kept uh, charge of the details and the way things were set up and uh, hoping that other people were watching and that they would emulate the standard and do things the way I do because we're always really impressed when people do things the way we do. We're like, wow, that kid's got talent. <laughs> <Yeah>. <clears throat> or they have a good sense of humor if they laugh yeah, at your jokes. Exactly. No, they're really funny. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, so no, I, did, I think, I, I, you know, did I evolve as a leader elegantly from something that was more tactical to something that was bigger picture? No, I just did more. I was in charge of some bigger picture stuff and didn't let go of those things. That was my way of keeping the standard at a certain level was to do it myself. So I, I signed up for five years that were a lot of work and in retrospect probably compromised how well I was able to lead because I was still taking mm. care of all the details myself. Mm. Yeah. When did that awareness piece come in that, that, that that's kind of the, those were the actions you were taking or that, that was, um, problematic or, or kind of a, a self-defeating series of choices a month ago yeah <laughs> no honestly oh perfect yeah Good. i think it's uh it's very um i'm not troubled by it but it is disconcerting to realize that i have been passionate and interested in helping people learn about leadership and you know doing that for almost well like since I was 17 is when I started with the program that was based in New York so I'm 47 this year so that's three decades wow helping people find leadership in their endeavors and to realize that I am not the best leader I'm very good at uh, explaining it and inspiring people to go for it but uh, it's like the cobbler's kids have no shoes I, I honestly it was about a month ago when I realized my job is actually to really see the potential of other people and to position their capacity and their stretch and their challenges as part of something bigger like it was literally about me for 30 years and just recently, there's been kind of a a shift where it's not about me, which makes me a much, ironically, makes me a much better leader. Maybe I'm becoming the leader that I've always dreamt I could become when you let go of that. Hmm. Uh, well, and, and sometimes there's a difference between like the things we think we have to do versus what we want to do. Uh -huh. You know, and, mm -hmm. and the way that the type of leader we think we need to be versus the type of leader we are or, or we want to be. Sure. And did you feel some of that sort of rub? Yeah. I mean, in some ways, it just feels like a big surrender. You're like, look, this is who I am. This is what I'm able to do. This is 
in the general area of something I'd like to accomplish and I just need other people to help me make this happen or mm-hmm. I'm going to be exhausted. You're right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's pretty fresh. Yeah. It's, it's a fascinating and, and um, it's such an insightful revelation. And, and I, I'm, I appreciative that you're, you're, mm-hmm. you're going through that now and, and you're being um, totally upfront with it because um, that's, that's the struggle that, that we face. And, and when we're honest about it, that's, and when we're honest with ourselves and as well with others, that that's when we can begin to kind of come to terms with it and, and figure out what's next. And because, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, many people can go through their whole lives, just maybe there's a twinkle of that, but it's, it's pushed away. Um, mm-hmm. You know, don't want to come to, to face what our greatest fear or, or insecurity might be. Um, it's a, it's an easy thing to do is is just to put that in a box and be like no nah, no nah, I'll keep doing what's comfortable so before we kind of get because one of the things I'm really curious about is is how that revelation took place um, and and what kind of work that you were doing to um, find that wisdom but um, <clears throat> maybe before if we're gonna kind of continue the chronology um, that that compulsive relationship with work when, um, when you're on the Isle of Skye, mm-hmm. um, almost came to a head. Um, it, when, when we'd spoken on the phone, I think you said it damn near killed me. And I, I wanted to mm-hmm. kind of dig into that and, and find out, um, w- you know, how that came to be and, and, uh, and how you didn't let it completely topple you. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, I may have been a bit melodramatic on the phone. But, <laughs> oh, but, we, we appreciate good stories. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. But but I do think I uh, I was young and inexperienced, and so work was the default setting. Mm-hmm. How you get through tough things is work really mm-hmm. hard. Right. And if you don't quite make it happen, then get up the next day with a determination to work a little harder than you did to make that bolder move. So I didn't have a lot of strategies in my arsenal other than just get it done mm-hmm. which is awesome and limited as a strategy uh, the second piece was just the context of the project it was in a northern community about the same latitude as the BC Yukon border so it was three hours away from Inverness which is a pretty major center five hours away from Edinburgh and Glasgow which are the wow. main cities where we would be doing business so you're trying to make something happen in a very small community, five hours from the markets that you were wanting to serve. It was a startup. There was a, uh, you know, the community was getting used to having this kind of unique operation. It was a social enterprise. So there was more than, you know, a single bottom line. We were trying to create jobs, but not go broke. There was like, it was a, it was a game of, Quidditch, not field hockey. (laughs) It was was just in every direction. Um, So the challenge was definitely, uh, you know, people's reputations were attached. Their investment and the the family that founded this, uh, they were invested. Their name was on the line. I did not want to let people down. And so I just got into a pattern of the classics very early mornings very late nights working on weekends doing things myself um getting frustrated that other people weren't working as hard as me 
and then you just end up doing more yourself. So that was a vicious cycle. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I don't know if it almost killed me, but I do think it changed my metabolism as a young man. I think, you know, I would not eat until three in the afternoon and then I would like have three Mars bars because I was starving and I would eat like it was Thanksgiving every night and you're meeting people. So you're drinking a lot and you're, yeah, I just think I got into a bad spiral. And after five years of doing that, um, yeah, when, when the time was up, it was a four year contract. We extended one year because we weren't out of debt. We were out of debt by the time five years was done. So that was kind of mission accomplished. See, even the language of that is, yeah, that was more important than, right. So when we moved back to Canada, there was definitely a period of entrepreneurial convalescence. Mm. And you moved back about 15 years ago. Was that right? That's right. Fall of 2004. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious about that lack of self-care and and those, Mm -hmm. those habits that, um, perpetuated because I'm familiar with them okay. in in places that I've been, and what, was there like an enough is enough moment, or was it just like you powered through and finally the finish line hit, and and then it was mission accomplished? Yeah, no, there was uh, many Saturdays that rather than being about revitalization or time with my young family or taking advantage of living in one of the most beautiful places on earth or having a hobby that allowed you to, you know, no, uh, there were lots of days where I was in bed all day because I'd been on a 10 day stretch or something. And it was just, it was, you know, there, there, so it wasn't as superhero esque as I, uh, explained it because there were periods of, two or three days of exhaustion, just enough energy to get back in there and get back on making lists and getting stuff done. So yeah, in retrospect, it's amazing that it was able to kind of last five years and it wasn't, it wasn't torture. I mean, I have some relationships from that period of my life. We did make some extraordinary things happen. Uh, I actually think uh, we changed the course of the country with a few of the projects that we did there in a very real systemic way. We, we, um, so it was epic. Yeah. And, and the, the, the concept has been used as a template in for other parts of the world yeah, as well. True. And, um, yeah, you were clearly had some, some great success with it, but mm-hmm. at a, at a great personal cost no, as well. There were, there were rewards. Uh, we were making it happen and word got out that we were making it happen. And so the Princess Royal uh, became a patron of the charity. That was a connection uh, from our founder who had been on a board of a school with her. But she knew what we were doing, was interested, saw that we were going for it, admired that. That's the kind of person she is, is, you know, are you the sort of person that's dabbling or are you going to make this happen? And if you were the person that could make this happen, then she would be on your side. So yeah, she became a patron of our well, charity and I think still is. Uh, so reflecting back, do you think you could have accomplished all you accomplished by working eight to five Monday to Friday? Interesting. I don't think so, but but I like where you're going. I, I would do that job. If I started that job today, 
I would do it very differently. And it would be about believing in other people, not just my own ability to grind it out. That would be the big distinction. There's a, a wonderful story told by David White, who's a Yorkshireman, I believe based in Washington State, who's a great writer, um, talking about visiting a sheepdog farm in Wales. And on the sheepdog farm, which is renowned, you know, for the sheepdogs it develops, the farmer takes him out to a field full of sheep and, you know, whistles for the two young dogs to come out and they fly out. They can't wait to strut their stuff. And they're just like black and white torpedoes in this field. And they're nipping at the back of every sheep's feet. And they're, they're just leaving it all on the field. And sure enough, they're smart enough that they leave one vector open that the sheep finally surrender to and go through this little fence in the wall and they successfully move all those sheep into the next paddock. And David, who's writing this, just says, I'm so impressed. And the farmer just laughs and says, you haven't seen anything yet. And explains that he's going to bring out Kimru, who is the sire dog, like the genetic source of all this talent. And in the moment before Kimru, which means Welshman, so it's like calling your dog Canadian. That's a that's a big <laughs> right. check to write. Yeah, he, uh, David is expecting the Walt Disney version of a sheepdog. You know, big full mane and sunlight behind him and a soundtrack. But that's not what Kimru is like. He comes out from underneath the steps of the farmhouse where he likes to bite at the back of people's ankles. Yeah. And he's got one eye that's all milky and gluey with stuff, a bad case of the mange that's been scraped away on the back, and he's got one paw that can't touch the ground. So mm. Kimmer's a wreck. <laughs> and David is like caught in saying, I thought this was supposed to be impressive. That dog looks like maybe it should be put down. Anyway, the farmer doesn't mind and gives Kimru a special set of commands because Kimru responds to different words. And Kimru is just totally unimpressed and moves around the back of the sheep unnoticed and takes two steps forwards and puts himself in exactly the right spot, lowers his head, shows one tooth, and the sheep suddenly realize they're in the presence of Kimru and take off in the other direction through that exact same hole in the fence and he moves all the sheep back into the first paddock. So, and it, to answer, a long way of answering your question, an interesting way to look at mastery is that it's actually a conservation of effort. Mm -hmm. If you're masterful at something, if mm -hmm. I had been a masterful leader on the Isle of Skye, I could have done it in nine to five, mm -hmm. you know, with yeah. some extra grind when you needed to uh, yeah, hopefully I wouldn't have had a bad eye and mange and <laughs> a bad paw, but I just think that's that takes a lifetime to become masterful at things, including leading other people. But the other takeaway is is Kimber. Um, he wore he wore the efforts of his experience, like that's he true. was in the trenches, that's true. right? Yeah. He wasn't the wasn't the general on the hill, like no, not no. getting dirty. There's He's a like, reason he got masterful. Exactly. Right. He practiced and practiced exactly. and practiced and he knew. So, right. yeah, I, I, hmm. yeah, thinking about the way we did things when we were young, you can beat yourself up for that or you can say that's where the story started. Yeah. Those mistakes. 
that's part of the hero's journey uh-huh. yeah, absolutely it's true yeah and and i'm wondering if you were to distill down some some habits or, or good practices that that you acquired from that time even though looking back it was you know there was a lot of exhaustion and 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 relationship challenges um but what what do you think that you took on uh, or built that that became useful in in the work that you later did or are still doing yeah i mean i guess one benefit is that a lot happened in any given week which equals a lot of experience even though i don't think i was tracking it as carefully as i would now like I wasn't learning as much as I could have about all these things that were happening, but there was just so much happening every week and you were making things happen and meeting with people that could make huge donations and meeting with people who could influence the government and meeting people who, you know, had the tiger by the tail in the UK. I mean, some of the meetings that I was able to experience as a very young CEO were epic. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember those people's names. I remember loosely it was this person and I can remember what the office looked like. But if I had been more conscious of what the opportunity actually, I mean, we made something happen. But that's the thing. When you work all the time, you're making a lot of low-grade things happen. Yeah, when that train's moving real fast, it's it's hard to, to notice what's, you know, what's going on in the countryside, no. right? No, the only <laughs> things you see on that train are anything else that's moving at that speed right everything else is just kind of a blur so what a waste so that's not positive which is where your question went. <laughs> um uh, much like the hero's journey there were some mentors that stepped onto the stage of my life that are invaluable um s- several like uh very a very special list of people uh, the most powerful force I have ever felt in my own development as a human being is conversations with people who earn the word mentor in your life. That That is, for me, how it happened. And so there was probably one major lesson uh, from a gentleman named Robert Henderson, who after a lifetime of developing leaders... Uh, He worked at Motorola and was in charge, was a senior vice president of leadership and learning for the Middle East, Africa, and Europe. So there's a lot of people who refer to him as a mentor. Um, Serious Obi-Wan Kenobi territory. Mm -hmm. But he had distilled down leadership into practicing four disciplines. Reflection, inquiry, pause, and action. And that when you choose leadership, what you're actually choosing is to become masterful over a lifetime in those four things. So to be able to reflect more and more deeply, to be able to inquire more and more discernedly, to be able to pause, which means like being empty, shutting off, and just being filled with an enjoyment for life. So like resting. That's one of the four things leaders need to become masterful at, which is still the hardest one for me. And then action, but the action when you do these other three things alongside of it isn't just more stuff to do, it's right action. It's like the right move at the right time in the right place to the right effect. 
And, you know, that would pretty much sum up if I was going to do that whole thing again. What I would aspire to do is to just bring a totally different league of those four things to the table and accomplish way more. Yeah, and the action is only after the pause. Like, it's necessitated by the pause. Yeah, no, you know exactly. He used to talk about it like the samurai sword that comes out, does what it needs to do, and goes back. Nothing more and nothing less than what's required. Like, makes the hair stand up on the back of my neck. Like, that's, that's how he helped people to lead mm-hmm. which so i i immersed in that material i trusted him and 20 years later i'm still learning how to do those things and not super happy with my progress but but at least i'm on that path yeah and, and you spoke about how you yourself are are great at, at seeing qualities and helping build people up um in their leadership but you're you're facing your own set of challenges perhaps he was the same way just because he had the formula maybe. figured out doesn't mean maybe. he's practicing it perfectly oh no that's the that's the, he'd be the first one to say i'm going deeper into these things all the time which makes it even feel harder if he's still working at <laughs> yeah, it then, sure. oh my god it's just yeah <laughs> but as we say the obstacle course never ends and the hero's journey never ends and um, it's it's a continued learning every morning. Um, you know, I think one one truth that is like, well, say bubbled to the surface or else we've just, you know, the piece of gold bullion, which doesn't bubble. So scrap that analogy. <laughs> That's sort of, you know, sh- glimmering right now. It's just, <laughs> I'll well, continue to push through these we'll analogies. It's, we'll it's, a meta- it's a metaphor. It is, yeah. <laughs> just keep it. <laughs> just keep Dude, it. There's something about gold. Jeez. You found some gold. Yeah, oh, it's gold. And it's shimmering and bubbling, apparently. Yeah, in, nice. in this cave. I'm with you. What is it? What's the goal? Is this whole idea of like, it's so easy to think that as a business owner and, uh, you know, as just as a successful human being, you just got to make work projects and be busy, 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 busy. But what I'm hearing from you is like, busyness is like, really not a, not it it's doing those things in in a shorter amount of time it's finding those places where you can just cut through literally and get to it quicker and more efficiently yeah and so you know as you reflect back on those that time on sky and just what you could have done better what are some more direct ways you think you could have accomplished perhaps the same things that other people listening can now start to look at their own business and life and say hmm how can I cut out the bullshit, so to speak, and get right to the what I'm trying to accomplish? Well, uh, uh, it has to be about other people. Mm. Like, to become masterful at helping other people realize what their unique gift is, to find a way to utilize it, to help them get better and better, and to help them kind of become the lead character Mm. of their own story rather than being a support actor in yours yeah that's, you know that that yeah. that's the thing that would that's the multiplier is i mean i have wanted i have daydreamed since i was 10 to be the kind of person that just brings out the best in other people you know mm. on the bus uh, just to be that sort of a character in the story that just elicits the best out of other people. And wishing it doesn't make it true. It takes a long time to become a character like that. Mm. Um, 
but the, yeah, that's the that's the major difference is that you would get over yourself mm-hmm. while still knowing yourself really well. That's the paradox is that you do actually have to spend a lot of time focusing on who you are, what drives you, what's affecting you, what's conscious, what's not conscious. Like you got to be thinking about yourself a lot. You have to be self-centered, right? centered in mm-hmm. who you are and paradoxically all about the unique gifts of other people and how you bring them out to the party. It's a funny... It's pretty hard to do that if you're a workaholic. Totally is. Right? If you don't have that time to oh, if be you're tied, in stillness. If you're tied to this brand of, I am a very hard worker. Yeah. Well, that's a double-edged sword. Mm-hmm. It's admirable, and we praise it in society. I, I notice when somebody says that, certainly in our family, oh, they're a hard worker. Mm-hmm. That is like an A-plus grade. For sure, yeah. Well, and the, the culture of entrepreneurship as well, it's like you have to you have to be this. The person you described, really, is, you know, late nights, early mornings, seven days a week, like, you know, sleep when I can, eat if I have to. Right. Um, yeah. And it's incredibly damaging and unsustainable. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, how do we find that balance of, of what, when is it, enough enough how can i you know be effective with my time Mm -hmm. and and so that there is things other than work because if if you're only focused on the work sphere of your life your relationships are going to fall apart Mm -hmm. your your self-care is going to fall apart and and when those things are out of balance you're a shitty worker right Right. you're ineffective so it's yeah how much of that when you left that position and, and you kind of had your your next opportunity to um, to create Roy Group, how how did you factor those things in, or or um, when when did you prioritize something other than other than work? I'm not entirely sure that I did. Um, I pivoted from you know not owning the organization in Scotland, but acting like I owned it. I mean, I was so invested. Uh, So now there was an ownership. There was, I was borrowing money to start something. Um, So there was, uh, but it didn't feel that different. There wasn't a team. It was my wife and I deciding that we wanted to just sell our time as practitioners to help people do what they needed to do. So that was... A little less pressure allowed us to raise our family and but that quickly got pretty busy and yeah it was it was 15 years kind of flat out the same pattern in a slightly different form but just mm-hmm. yeah and I mean the other thing I have to reconcile is that I actually really love work I love going to bed at night going like that was a massive day mm-hmm. yeah, yeah how did you do it mm-hmm. yeah Right? Like you still got it. There's some crazy myths about entrepreneurship that need to be challenged. One is that it's about hard work. Of course that's true, but it but it connects to this idea of like a self-made man, which is total bullshit. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. But that's the myth that keeps people going. Like there's nobody in that if I can't do this, no one will help me. Yeah. It's it's a dead end. And people buy into it big style. 
I don't hear you saying like you love work. You 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 almost if almost felt like you were saying that like kind of like chagrinly like uh, I I do love work. Is that okay to say? Of course, we all love work. This is the work of our lives. But the difference is 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 perhaps now the work isn't just about you. It's it's the work is other people, and that that contribution is what brings the joy. One of our past guests actually said that. What's the difference in your life now? And they said contribution. Mm. Now that I'm contributing, mm. now that it's 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 not just about John anymore, right? Um, and it's about me seeing these other people that are becoming their full versions of themselves. Mm-hmm. Spend all day doing that. That's fine. Uh-huh. But it's that other work that's exhausting and 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 um, limiting. Mm-hmm. Is that where it's just about controlling your own empire and own enterprise? Yeah. So what I hear you saying is, in terms of solving that those or debunking those myths about entrepreneurship part of it is uh contribution yeah is is how it becomes more than just work and more more than just about ourselves but ian what um in terms of other myths of entrepreneurship that you're you're mentioning that are not useful what what would you uh what would you say some of those might be from from your own experience well number one is that they're like a separate breed of humans like that entrepreneurs are somehow special and therefore separate from the rest of the things that humans deal with, like self-doubt, isolation, fear, mm-hmm. uh, overwhelm, yeah. um, that somehow being an entrepreneur makes you bulletproof to some of these very human things that affect your ability to enjoy your human life. And that, um, I understand why that myth has kind of been created. It's to help people keep going and to do tough stuff. And I'm a huge believer in entrepreneurs that they create work for people. They create opportunities for people. They create wealth. They create community. Like mm-hmm. you do not want to be a country that loses its entrepreneurs yeah. ever. Yeah. Um, they create innovation. They create, you know, technology and, and yeah. things that we use all the time is, is because of, those people who have those very amazing work habits and, and dedication to mm-hmm. something that they're passionate about and believe in. but And they're it, human. But there's the flip side. And they have chosen to make sacrifices. And so there's parts of their life that they don't get to experience fully. Um, they tend to get into some bad habits, particularly in startups. It's almost like... Uh, channel surfing every five seconds their brain is having to like address something new every 15 seconds which is not healthy to not have any chance to actually reflect properly on things yeah so yeah there's a downside to the choice of being an entrepreneur and entrepreneurs are big enough people to realize that and i i do think they're starting to talk about it i really think i see it in victoria the tech community uh, through Viatech is convening conversations about mental health and people aren't coming to it and being like, yeah, we should donate to the organizations that help those poor people with mental illness. They're like, no, this is us. Yeah, for sure. We are struggling. Our employees are struggling with this. Um, I think Fuck Up Nights, which has been uh, a really fun uh, mission to be a part of in Victoria of having leaders get up and tell the story of their most colossal fuck up has been extraordinary, more extraordinary than we, we, we knew it would be fun. Hmm. 
but we did not realize that it would actually start to change the city, which I really believe it is doing. In Victoria, I think it's a British thing. We hold our cards quite close to our chest. This is my yard. This is my car. It's very individualistic, and mm -hmm. one does not speak of failure in Victoria. And we will lose our edge as a tech hub if we don't start talking about failure, because the one thing that distinguishes all of the other tech cities around the world is that people are wiping out and kind of enjoying it and taking wild swinging swings at things to see if they might work. There's not the stigma around failure, which is this other thing that entrepreneurs tell themselves that to be an entrepreneur, I have to be successful. Well, and we have listeners actually all over the world we've discovered and, nice. and fuck up nights is not just something in Victoria, mm -hmm. right? This is, this is a chapter that you've, mm -hmm. that you've kind of started, but exactly. there is a fuck up night probably in the town where you're listening from listener. You should, there should look be. into it and you can <laughs> yeah. buy the license for like 10 bucks a yeah. month to start it in your city yeah. and start procuring yeah. leaders. Ideally the good and great, the people in your community who people think have never failed. Yeah. And get them up on stage to talk about no holds barred, no silver linings, no happy endings. And what does that do? What have you seen that that has done for people when they've gone up and, and shared that experience of their greatest failure? Oh, I mean, I think I actually believe it's a therapeutic act for the speakers. Absolutely. I see their faces after and they're kind of flush cheeked. They've dropped their guard and they didn't get smacked for it, mm. which at some deep level they were expecting to be rejected or rebuffed by a community if they admitted that they wiped out. And instead, because everybody in the crowd totally connects to that story, more so than they connect to the story of here's my top 10 list of how yeah. to be successful, exactly. which is the shit that we <laughs> exchange on yeah. Facebook and Twitter yeah. and everything is like, here's my system. So true. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think for the speakers, it's it's a wonderful experience. And they're actually more honest with themselves by telling a story in public. And the absolute crazy thing about vulnerability is is everybody believes when they're vulnerable, they're going to like be made fun of or humiliated. Mm -hmm. And almost always... It's the opposite. It's the opposite. Mm -hmm. It's a sign of strength. And people come around and then say, let me tell you my story. I mean, that's of course. really why another like reason jokes. we started the it's podcast. Like jokes in a pub. They just one turn. That, that's exactly what... Exactly. Yeah. And... Yeah. and what Brene Brown says is yeah. that people Who? think that yeah <laughs> we bring her up pretty often yeah. um, but people think that in order to be vulnerable with someone you have to build trust but it's actually the other way around whereas right. ah. if you're vulnerable that's ah. what creates the yeah. trust cool and and so I would imagine those leaders take that lesson and bring it back with them into the workplace and into their organizations it's like look I was vulnerable. I admitted what happened, where I failed, and people were drawn into me and, and saw my realism, my authenticity, and, and that's something that I'm going to now practice, and maybe not even in their organizations, but in their families and, and in their social dynamics. And, and I think it's, it's just such a perfect lesson um, that, that we, uh, we need to talk about. Well, and the other thing, just practically, so this is less about being vulnerable and being an open person and... Uh, being strong enough to admit this didn't work the way I wanted it to and to share in that laugh. Uh, one of the themes that's really come up strong the last few years in our work 
is that failure is is so chock full of information Mm -hmm. that whether it's in families or whether it's in workplaces or communities for us to have the kinds of leaders whose demeanor and the look on their face does not change between when they are using a failure as a case study to dissect and figure out what happened here and what can we learn from this and that their faces are and their demeanor are exactly the same when we break down a success Uh, that sort of um, example for young people to see uh, you know mentors do that to use failure and success in equal measure as a very rich source of information I think is a really important and I think fuck up nights is kind of in that it's balancing the scales a little bit like let's let's learn from everybody's failure which people do people in the crowd talk about how valuable that information was Hmm. Um, well and and you know the key is is to continue to be open to failure but maybe fail a bit more creatively like it's not helpful to fail in the same way over and mm-hmm. over and over, right? Because that's mm-hmm. not wisdom. But but depending on failure as a way of that information where you're like, oh, okay, that's why that went south. That's why that deal didn't come together. That's why right. that employee left. That's why that product failed. Oh, okay. And then, all right, I learned now. Now it won't fail. But but to continue continue to fail, right? You know, just for the sake of failing, is is obviously not not the mark. No, but, nobody but tries. To, nobody tries to fail. Yeah, but I failure mean, happens. I mean, Jason, who you've had on your podcast before, oh, yeah. talks about how a high performance life, yeah, has lots of successes, yeah, and lots of failures, for yeah, sure. and lots of learning from each. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That's a cool. It's a cool way to look at it. Yeah, failure is not the opposite of success. Failure is part of success. Yeah, it's, it's just a, it's inherent. And and just because it doesn't make sense to to fail the same way twice or three times or ten times doesn't mean we don't do it anyways. Oh, of course, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, true. we we have our favorite failures we that do. we're prone our to repeating. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But it's it's part of our story. I one place that I wanted to to dig into was the difference between leadership and mentorship, mm-hmm. and it it could be seen as as a similar relationship, but. Mm-hmm. Um, you you've spoken about your your the deep impact mentors have made and and how that is a little bit different than than leadership. So I wanted to to kind of offer that opportunity for you to, okay, to illustrate. That's fun. Yeah, I'm just trying to think. Um, you know, what's the Venn diagram? All mentors to me are leaders. Not all leaders are mentors. Yeah, for There's, sure. There's a threshold that I think a leader, somebody who's capable of bringing people together, establishing a vision, moving people and getting them to take ownership of that. And like, yeah, you can lead something and not necessarily earn the word mentor in people's lives. People can say, oh, yeah, I I used to work with that person. They were awesome. Mm -hmm. They were good at what they did. They got big stuff done with us. They managed us really well. Like, yeah, they're a great person. But until the person identifies them as a mentor, that's a big, that's a threshold. And I think what distinguishes that subset of leaders is it's intentional. They know that they are providing instruction 
in a way that's going to stick with this person the rest of their life. They know that they have distilled down of the 10 pieces of advice that they thought might be valuable. They listened a little bit more. They were just a little bit wiser and they discerned the one piece of advice that's going to be remembered by this person forever. And they also have the, the skills of of coaching, of literally unleashing human potential. They, that, that doesn't just happen because they're a good person or because they read a book. That's something that they've actually practiced in conversation. Can I create the space for us to have a transformational conversation? They know what they're doing. There's a skill set there that they actually have learned. Um, I think those are the people that earn that, that gift word of mentor. So if you were to just try to dig down into the what that key is in unleashing someone's potential mm-hmm. that you're working with uh, that that as a mentor um, you can you can help create what might that be hmm. I mean one of my mentors is a gentleman named Tim Galway uh, who wrote in the 70s a book called the inner game of tennis and he has a little equation that is uh, P equals P minus I. Little P equals big P minus I. Performance equals potential minus interference, which simply stated means the potential is there. Mm-hmm. It's dying to come out. It wants to connect with other people. It wants to be totally out of its own way. And so in many ways, coaching gets focused on the I whatever, in his words, is getting in the way. And that might be internal or it may be external. And either one, you have to have tools to get in there to say what limiting beliefs are getting in the way, what doubt is getting in the way, what fear is getting in the way, what insecurities are getting in the way. Externally, what conditions are getting in the way of this person's potential coming out to play. And so that's a that's a tough puzzle. It's a simple equation and a very tough puzzle that's different for every person who's in front of you. But to me, it's just been a really great philosophy to try to line up with is to believe that the potential is there. That's never let me down. So then perhaps the the job is the mentor or the coach is the activation of that potential in someone else. Like if it's there, then perhaps your job is somehow activate that so they know it's there and then they continue. Yeah, it's really even more like it's even and maybe this is getting too romantic, but it's it's that the activation is not up to me. Mm. It's activated. It wants to come that the person will light it up. Okay. My job is really, uh, you know, like a farmer who goes up into the hills and finds a dried out spring and gets down on one knee and rolls up his sleeve and just reaches in there and gets rid of all of the leaves Mm. and then all of the silt and then all of the gravel until that spring is activated. It's really the act of Mm. clearing away the garbage Mm -hmm. that that mentors do so that whatever's inside that person has nothing getting in the way. It's a really like it's a it's a I realize that's a zealous perspective around human development but i just it's just never let me down the best stories in my life have Mm -hmm. happened when somebody in the system was smart enough to look at the situation that way Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's a it's a beautiful depiction of the relationship um part of me thinks that 
you know, it's the responsibility, like it's a personal responsibility to deal with our own baggage or the interference. Uh-huh. Um, but having that, that partnership mm-hmm. um, and assistance to, to however it might be to start pulling um, all that crap away and, and, you know, letting that. And you can't do it on your own. Yeah. You cannot. I mean, hero's journey. Uh, Joseph Campbell was really good friends with George Lucas, of course. Yeah. Uh, can you imagine what a wimp Luke Skywalker would be? <laughs> like, he was annoying. When we first meet Luke, he was. Yeah. He Even is not his... somebody that I would want to go for a beer with. Yeah. Even his voice, man. He <laughs> was <laughs> annoying. I hope yeah. uh, Mark Hamill forgives me for saying that. But he yeah. was like he so. <laughs> like, like the little cousin you just do not want to hang out with. But then all of a sudden, there's all these characters, you know, namely Obi-Wan, but Han and Leia, and Chewie and a couple droids. And, and like that, that's that's what helped him, you know, become who he needed to be. And it happens for each one of them. Each one of them was kind of super flawed until they started connecting with each other and helping each other get out of their own way. Mm-hmm. That, so I, I you assume- can't do it by yourself. We're all going to go to the Star Wars movie in a couple of weeks. Is that, <laughs> is that what I hear oh, yeah. you saying? Yeah, I've already, I've already got my plan. <laughs> I'm actually going to go with go with a class that Sarah's uh, teaching really? in her practicum. Whoa. Yeah. Oh, nice. Hopefully, as long as they let me come with them. <laughs> We've got a whole theater the night before it opens. Cool. Oh. Costumes, the whole deal. Really? Nice. Oh, so nice. What's your What's your costume? Oh, it's like full on Jedi. Yeah. Oh yeah. Perfect. Anne Marie's first degree was in costume design, so oh, if it's Halloween wow. or a costume party, things get pretty animated at our house. Nice. Yeah. I do have a full Chewbacca suit. <laughs> you do? Yeah. Uh, it it needs we'll a little bit touching up. Podcast. But yeah, okay. no. Yeah. It's for real. I wore it to uh, Star Wars Day at a Seattle Mariners game okay. a couple years ago. Is it in this house? No. Ah. I'd like to go to the house where it resides. <laughs> oh yeah, and uh, check this out. Absolutely, and I, and I plan to come as myself because I have the most potential. <laughs> right on, as you just said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, be yourself, John. Yeah, that's right. You don't need to be anybody else. <laughs> no, I'm curious a little bit about the inner game of tennis and the inner game of golf, mm-hmm. um, because the inner game of golf is is like very near the top of my list of of the next things I want to read, ah. and so that that relationship, uh, I'm really interested in in how that came to be yeah um tennis was certainly tim's first love he was the captain of the harvard tennis team so he was from california i believe and just uh he the guy had some ability um and so tennis became the arena in which he started to notice all of these dynamics and he was an independent enough thinker and reflector to take his own inklings seriously uh so yeah there's a reason that the inner game of tennis was the first book and where that kind of this whole idea of the inner game was pioneered and then he just uh fell in love with golf kind of as a second practice and realized that it was as or even more connected to the inner game Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah where that ball goes is so connected to (laughs) what's going on in your head and falling in love with golf is it's it's a brutal relationship. It's tricky. It's tricky. <laughs> yeah, it happens, but then you fall out of love on the same hole. Yeah, but you yeah. only need 
one good drive a summer. Absolutely. When you're totally out of your own way and you're like, that is the greatest feeling in the world. I mean, I usually get one drive, one good drive a summer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but so how did you uh, find or Tim or how did you find how oh. did he find you? Yeah. So another really important mentor to me was a gentleman named Mark Bell, uh, who came to check us out on the Isle of Skye and started volunteering. And then we started working on some projects together and we got a chance to work together on a number of projects. And uh, yeah, he handed me a copy of The Inner Game of Tennis. I had never read it before and never heard of it. And he just said, I think this is uh what you need to think about was that after you played a match with him or <laughs> no we've played matches since and he's a master of the inner game and in that he gets in your head and uses the dark arts to trip you up oh, like nice. he's a yeah, yeah he's Mark's a, a yeah, yeah. Mark, Mark is a multi-layered human but um yeah he he's the one who had really i believe worked with tim in the uk on some projects so new tim and and so had this connection to the material, which is, is always an amplifier. Mm-hmm. And it was years later that Tim and Mark and I got a chance to spend some days together in Canada. We brought Tim to Canada for a special gathering. And yeah, that started the relationship with Tim, which is just somebody who I've really been inspired by. His message is awesome. The messenger is even better. Hmm. I mean, when somebody's really... He is the message, a conversation with him, and you just kind of feel the interferences dissolving, hmm. and you feel his belief that you've got something really valuable inside that you need to get working on. That's amazing. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm so curious about, about more of that, and, and it's just such a magical connection. Um, because as I said, that that book is is so and it's been on my radar for so long, and and it's just it needs to happen soon. Oh, nice. Um, so something I think a, this might be an appropriate transition piece for for the the what you were talking about earlier with just a month ago, you you kind of made this significant revelation, and I wonder what piece of interference you might have identified. And, and what did that process of, of making that realization look like? Hmm. Um, I, think, I think there's a set of beliefs that have been alongside me or had been alongside me for a long time that, uh, oh, you're good at something. Like that, having been rejected from medical school which I think did leave a big dent. It was the first time in my life where I declared to the universe, this is something that I want to do. And they were like, have you seen your biochemistry marks? Like you would not be a good doctor. Hmm. And I'm like, yeah, but I'd be so good with people. And I'd love to just, my daydreams were all about walking into rooms with a family where there were bet, where there was bad news and somehow finding a way to deliver that message to them in a way that really heartened them and helped them carry on. Hmm. It was like ER, right? Mm. It was like, it was, I did not realize that you need to actually be quite good at science to be a doctor. So to then in recovering from that huge disappointment, just because my, I got my identity tied to, ah, you're going to be a doctor. You're going to be a rural doctor in Saskatchewan. That's what, you know, you're going to be a good guy in community and you're going to, I just, my identity got attached to that. So 
finding through the New York, the Scotland, the Roy Group journey that I was good at something, I think came at such a relief, came as such a relief that you just have to find a way to do as much as possible, Hmm. which isn't a bad appetite, but it is pretty self-centered. I am good at this, and therefore I'm going to find a way to do this for as many people as I can. It's your contribution thing. Until I distilled down what the actual gift was. So two years ago, at the recommendation of two other people that I would consider mentors, said there's a program for entrepreneurs. It's designed specifically for entrepreneurs called Strategic Coach. It was created in Canada 40 years ago, uh, Dan and Barbara Sullivan, and you should go. And I heard that for 10 years and finally went. And sure enough, it is designed for people who are in exactly the situation that I'm in. Like the content has been so relevant. It's been really great. And one of the most exciting things that they do is help you find out what your unique ability is. And it's not philosophical and it's not um, about your identity or who you think you are. It's like super specific. It's like over the course of your life, take that evidence and distill down specifically, not in general, that you're, you're, you're good at something, so you should do it. It's specifically, what are the context of situations where you make the biggest difference? What is it that you do? And what is the effect that happens when you do that? And you like distill it down to a single statement. Mm-hmm. That was a big part of the shift that's just happened is realizing, yeah, you're good at one specific thing. But if you actually want this venture to make a big difference in the world, you're going to have to start recognizing other people for their unique ability and put a band together and make some music that the world actually wants to hear rather than just, you know, lighten it up Beyonce style on your own every day. Like, uh, that That is what's changed, is I'm starting to see, first of all, believe in that other people have these remarkable, unique abilities that I don't have. Well, and that whole that control piece of like exactly. s- setting the room and doing everything and like, doing I everything. got this. And it, can, it only gets us so far, right? Yeah. And And so to be able to admit that to ourselves and... It, it takes a lot of courage to say, you know what, this is my absolute strength. And you know what, I'm probably better at than anyone else I know. But then that also involves admitting, and I'm not as good at, at oh, X, Y, and Z. Right. So it's, it's, a, it's a huge step to take. And so what, what is that statement? You don't, you, you know, you don't have to repeat it verbatim, but... Uh, no, I can. Because, okay. it's, I mean, it's taken some work and it's taken some polishing, but I... I use it every day. Uh, the, the nice part about this methodology is that you then design your life around it. Mm-hmm. And so you start putting bullets in things that you're terrible at. That's easy. What about the things you're actually good at? Yeah. You got to get rid of those. Even There's even some things that you've made yourself be excellent at over time. That's a long list for me. Mm-hmm. I got to get rid of that. Or the things you love but aren't good at. Because there are some of those things. That's there what, might be a few. That's what it gets tricky. Guilty pleasures. Yeah. But, but what you really want to do is to say, 
does this thing that's on my schedule use my unique ability? If not, right. for goodness sakes, create a team where together right. we have this covered. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so after a lot of thinking, crafting and delivering phrases that stir courage in honorable people. Mm. That's the thing that I do really well. Anytime my team needs that done, I want them to come to me to say, Chiz, will you do this with us? Because mm-hmm. I will. I love doing it. <laughs> but it's it's so specific. It's, it's literally about phrases. Mm. Who knew after 47 years that I'm a phrase guy? Mm. It's strangely liberating yeah, to I... restrict myself to using my unique ability and asking other people to use theirs. That is... Um, Yeah, it feels it feels like a very big letting go and a very big picking up. Yeah, the letting go piece. <laughs> it's <laughs> to <a> doozy. <laughs> it feels like a doozy. <laughs> I mean, we we've talked before about entrepreneurs and we're all entrepreneurs here have strange relationships with control. Uh-huh. Right. And so the letting go part and the it, it's so it's such a strange kind of way of life, because in, in, in some ways, there's so many things outside our control when we're creating something out of thin air, uh-huh. you know, but at the same time, um, it's all under our control because we're mm-hmm. creating something out of thin air. And it's just like this dance we do. And it's it's yeah, not for everyone. Entrepreneurism, entrepreneurism, and even saying the word on air is not for everyone. It's not. Not everyone can pull it off. No, they can't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but and and you need that. Like just yeah. as you did, you wouldn't have gotten to where you were if you didn't have that ability to kind of get a good enough grasp of everything to be able to get it off the ground. Mm-hmm. And and then it's when you break that habit of doing it all and and creating something up leveling to the next place it's meant to go getting back into that distilling it down and and that powerful statement how would you say it has changed your your life really your habits and your um maybe even your your self-awareness or your self-talk up to this point and, and how do you imagine it might change your way of being going forward Yeah, I mean, it, it really feels like a filter through which everything goes now. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm luckily, very luckily, surrounded by people who understand the concept and have believed in it a long time. And so they're, you know, actively positioning me and challenging me to say, does this use your unique ability or, or is this just you grinding it out again? So I'm really lucky to be surrounded by people who call me on it Um, I'm also very lucky to be surrounded by some honest people who were able in different ways to tell me that they were really getting sick of the way (laughs) I was showing up Um, some did it very subtly and patiently other people did it kind of more abruptly but it's the same message it's like just this is seriously not all about you. And I just needed that. I understand how I got there. Um, I'm proud of some of the things that were accomplished along the way. And I just want this next chapter of my life to 
to be different. How so? I, it's this, uh, rather than it being me trying to convince people that I've figured it out and that this is the right way forward or all of the unconscious things you do, like maybe I'm not going to share that information because actually, even though I don't have time to get to it, I would kind of like to figure this out. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, you know, that hoarding mm-hmm. information and opportunities so that I can do it my way. Mm-hmm. I'm just uh, really going to call myself on that to be like, are you a guy that talks about leadership or do you actually lead well and bring out and let other people lead well and, and bring out what other people can offer this party? Um, yeah, no, it's kind of come to a fork in the road for sure. A lot of this process reminds me of Simon Sinek's book, uh, The Power of Why huh. and Discovering Your Why. Mm. I actually went through that process. Okay. I, I paid the money and, and went right through on. it all. Um, and it was very, very, very cool because you have to write the 10 stories that have defined your life. Ah. That's really, I, I would, in fact, I, I would, I think it's a good place to start because where I want to go with this is for our, li- our listeners who are leaning in who are like, I think I do have something to offer the world. Uh, I want to be wonderful in the world, um, but I, I just, qu- I don't quite know. Like, Do some you digging. Know, you know, what are some, what's some advice for the listeners who want to get engaged, who want to be activated, but they're just kind of stuck. No. And, uh, your, your use of stories, Mm -hmm. uh, the truth is always in our stories. Mm -hmm. You break down a collection of scenes from your life story. Mm -hmm. If it was going to be a movie, these would have to be the scenes that you use for people to understand who you are. Right. Sometimes they're in moments where things were not well, those were actually where you really stepped up. So don't just look at the positive stories. Right. Um, I'm a big believer that that's where the information set is to help people figure out what is the thing inside you. Because then the why becomes very simple because you can. Mm -hmm. You have an ability to do things that other people do not have. And you don't even, it's hard for you to realize that that's it because you've had it your whole life. Mm. It's like, a fish trying to explain water right yeah, yeah. but you got to get past that and really be like wow there is a certain thing that i light it up around mm-hmm. mm. yeah and eliminating that interference which That's, so often is yeah. just our own self-talk yeah our oh, own for sure our own negative mindset uh, which we have that you know talking about control that's one thing we do have control over <laughs> is our mindset it's true and you know, we, we can, it's a stoic philosophy, but we, we can absolutely control our reactions and our, our feelings and our, uh, and our thoughts. Um, but it, it takes practice to, to do so. But those, those distractions, oh, that's, that, that's the hardest part, especially for a lot of entrepreneurs got that like really quick, busy mind. Like you said, every five seconds, I got a new idea, just having that focus, um, I, I bought a book actually recently, the new book called Undistractable. Nice. I haven't started reading it because I'm too distracted. I mean, <laughs> yeah. honestly, it, it, that, that's the tra- tragedy. <laughs> but I, I want to dig into it over the winter, and it comes highly reviewed. But nice. it's it's all about how to how to really get yourself in that space, nice, where you can focus in on finding that phrase and then begin to hmm. incorporating that into your day to day. Yeah. So one thing that was coming up for me a couple of minutes ago, as you were describing the the transition in your life that that's happening, kind of as we speak, and it's it's that part in the hero's journey where 
the hero doesn't have to be the hero anymore right mm-hmm. where it's it's removing that that centerpiece and and sharing the the wisdom with with those around um if you were to distill down again that maybe a piece of wisdom that you would have to someone who was in your shoes in their 20s what do you think that might be hmm. I mean, it's uh, it's based on the assumption that if you just did things more quickly than I learned them, it would be better for you. You know, like it would be, this is going to happen anyway, so just get at it sooner. Mm-hmm. One would be to get on that path of earning the word mentor. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's happening. I think there's a lot of teenagers that the world is so chaotic and social media is throwing stuff in front of them and their friends i think there's a lot of teenagers who are actually open to serving other teenagers as mentors as best they can there's a downside to that that our teenagers are raising each other but um i'm just noticing a lot of really exquisite people in their teens so I would just, you know, maybe try to fuel that. And the other thing that I would say, do it sooner rather than later, is get into a situation where you're on a team where you're playing for each other. Mm-hmm. Like win or lose, uh, you know, a lot of Jason's thinking helped me um, see this, that that the best stories in life is when we were with a group of people who we actually loved. Mm-hmm. And that's why we played so hard was for each other. That mm-hmm. That is, uh, I just think that's a good life. If you can choose a choose an endeavor that's worthy of the group of people that you want to pull together, and then just go for it together and really do it together. Like, um, yeah, I think the message would be that sharp. Get get over the do it yourself as soon as possible. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, it doesn't take people thirty years to do that. Well, and we see it all the time in professional sports, right? It's not the teams that have all the best players, right? No. It's all the ones who love and play for each other. I, I mean, I mean, that's that's it. I mean, that's that's maybe why the Oilers are playing a bit better better this year. Well. <laughs> Let's talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> sure, they got the best player in the world, but still, yeah. I mean, no, but when that team makes that switch, where they're not just you know, it's not just about that top tier player, mm-hmm. but but they all truly like they're blocking those shots. They're they're doing those things that for the love of everyone else or about any of the players, actually. Yeah, it right. becomes this. I mean, uh, yeah, right. Uh, I'm just trying to remember the name of the book. It was about stealing fire. It was called mm-hmm. and it was just about what we know from research about high performance teams. And they just talked about you know, special ops teams or SWAT mm-hmm. teams that have to kind of tackle stuff together. They enter this STER state, which S-T-E-R stands for selfless, mm. timeless, effortless, and richness, I think. Mm. That that's the state when a whole team drops into the zone. It's not about you as an individual. Right. Whether you're the best player or the worst player, you don't even care about that anymore. Time stands still. 
It's this spooky moment of opportunity where anything is possible. It's no effort because everybody's been positioned for their unique gift. And it's just rich. You just remember it, you know, yeah, I love on that. our deathbeds. These are the things we're going to just go back and recollect mm. because they were just so cool. Mm. Yeah. So I, I'm curious about how the selection of the team, how that process goes mm. as, as it's so vitally important as you're speaking to, to, to find people that bring out our potential uh-huh. to get ourselves in a relationship <clears throat> with people around us who, who can really work cohesively and, and hone one another's strengths and, and enable one another's strengths. Um, how does from your experience, how is the process of, of finding the right people to be around gone or, or what, what strategies have you used to, to really have the, the five people who enabled you to be your best self? How's that process gone? Well, number one, I, um, I am not the person who was able to do that. So the first thing I had to do, uh, is work with my business partner, my wife, Anne-Marie, to say, I think we need to hire somebody to run this team because it's not my unique gift. Mm-hmm. As of today, this was in January, I am not a team guy. So we need help. And we have to admit that. And we found a wonderful person named Todd Walsh who is a team guy. So then, so I've watched him do this. I've kind of build our team. It starts with a really clear but practical vision. So I'm not using the word vision the same way that maybe a strategic planning consultant would use it. This isn't about what the world will be like when this has been accomplished. This is like three years from now, what will exist? Mm. It's just a time horizon in the future. Let's just get super clear on that. What are you like? What does the office look like? What's the kind of work we're doing? What are the kind of clients we're doing work for? Like, yeah, a cool time horizon. Three years out is what we looked at. Then we worked backwards from that to say, okay, what will have to be done really, really well in that future scenario? Well, uh, for example, our events are going to have to be really spot on. That's something that our brand is known for. Uh, We're going to have to get really good at events. Okay. Do we currently have anybody who works for us who like loves that work? Mm -hmm. Uh, working with people's dietary restrictions and tailor and working with the venue to create a special meal for that person and having special things in people's rooms when they arrive and being, you know, that whole event mindset. No, we don't. The people that do that on our team do so because they're part of the team and they're making it happen, but they don't love it. Okay, well, let's find somebody who freaking loves that, yeah, which yeah. we did. Uh, Do we have somebody on our team who loves creating the financial blueprint of our future? No. Again, we have somebody doing that who was Anne-Marie. She was both of these people, by the way. (laughs) We have somebody holding the back room together who does that work really well, taught herself finance so that we would not wipe out. But did she love it? No, she didn't love it. So we found Johnny Schwartz, who... He's brilliant. He's like an architect. He seriously creates the blueprint of our future using numbers. I can't wait for our monthly finance meeting every month. It's the to see him do his thing is the greatest thing of my week. 
so et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Just keep filling in all the functions with somebody whose unique ability makes that function possible. And then how do you ensure that those people coexist on that team? Ah, I think that has fallen largely to Todd, who is very much a values guy. The other piece early on was how we will do this. And yeah, we chose four big themes that from things going wrong, we know are actually really important to us. We didn't choose our values. There was no choice. Mm -hmm. It was like a place of choicelessness, which was awesome to say we can't help it. These are the things that Roy Group values. And so that has been just an ongoing conversation of how each person does their job in a way that that protects those four things in our operation for each other. Because we want everybody else on the team to experience a working life full of those things. And we just decided that. You know, just hearing you articulate this, I'm sort of laughing a bit because it's like it's another one of those things where it's, it's uh, so simple but not easy. Like what you just exactly. said is, let's just have people who do what they love and all work together. And are <laughs> you know, it's like, well, it. of course, that's the way it should work. But, but that takes some work because somebody <laughs> yeah. comes to an interview and you really like them. Right. Yeah, exactly. And then you get to know their unique ability and you're like, we don't really need that. Right. It's yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> I like them because we're similar, right? Maybe. Yeah. We <laughs> exactly. don't need another person with my unique ability because I like doing that on this team. So no, there, there's exactly. been some hard choices where like that right. person's a, a, a catch, yeah. but they're a catch for somebody else. Right. Because mm-hmm. right now, yeah. in terms of what we need, and it's not about the person or whether they're a good, I'm the wrong person to interview because if I like somebody, I just want to find a role for them. Dumb. Not cool. Not mm-hmm. a smart way to build a business. Todd mm-hmm. is much more disciplined in saying this is what, this is the function that we need somebody to be a maestro of. So let's go find that person. Well, it's the whole, it, it's, that is the learning that I'm, I'm seeing from back in, on the Isle of Sky is that uh-huh. rather than just, you know, getting through and doing the work and like making it happen and, and, you know, not even thinking, not thinking about the bigger picture, but like how should these pieces actually fit together? It's stepping back, using that time and, and resource effectively doing the hard work that then makes everything else easier rather than just working Mm -hmm. hard it's true it's my it's one of my greatest regrets in life is that i did not see that team of people through this filter i love them and we worked hard together and we made some awesome stuff happen but when i think of from the founder his family board members uh the people that were on my team, people in that community, I didn't fully recognize them for the unique ability and, you know, have used this same method in terms of how we ran the team. We all just worked hard. Mm-hmm. And well, and, and it goes back to that phrase, which I'm pretty sure was originated in Saskatchewan was work smarter, not harder. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't think that I think people in Saskatchewan go. Uh, just work harder. Just work harder. <laughs> yeah, just stop at work. That sounds too clever. Yeah. clever. Clever is not a good word in Saskatchewan. Clever so, comes with. Sorry, Saskatchewan. Maybe another province came <laughs> up with that. But yeah, I mean, it's so easy to, uh, just to push through and just work harder. Oh, okay, I'll do six days a week then. But it's just that, like you said at the beginning, that that getting that one phrase, you know, getting that 
that essence, getting that, you know, other people involved, like that, that that's, that's the real work. Yeah. And I would, the, the, the biggest regret thing I would throw back with a little bit of that control uh-huh. filter on as well, you know, it thinking that it was your responsibility to mm. ensure that everyone was doing was getting what exactly what they needed to or uh-huh. or, or you know p- other people had responsibility for for their contribution to that it's as true well. and i i'm i'm fully appreciating now that the founder a few key board members people like robert people like mark were seeing people through that filter it just wasn't explicit and i was just a person who was being seen for what i was able to do rather than being a seer of that Mm-hmm. So I think you're right. People were being played to their strengths there. I was being played to my strengths there. And I just, as a young CEO, it would have been cool, you know, whatever. It would have been cool to be part of that group that was seeing, not just being seen. Because mm-hmm. that's that's where the real stuff happens. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's great. But, it, but that's the learning that has been created out of that experience, right? It's true. Well, I think as we begin to uh, to close, there's going to be a lot of listeners here who are super intrigued by what you've brought to the table, both in terms of your experience as well as the, the work that you do and, and the leadership knowledge that you provide others. Um, so where where might they be able to find more information about uh, both the Roy Group and about Chiz? Ah, uh, that's very kind of you. Uh, our new website is www.roygroup.net. And yeah, lots of articles and perspectives and a bit more of a working website than we've had in the past. So it's kind of fun. Cool. Thank you. And uh, yeah, I was, I was maybe going to close just by asking, um, do you have any, any parting gifts to the listeners any uh, any pieces of of wisdom or or learning that uh, that you might want to end off with wow that's wide open i mean there was as we were talking earlier there was an expression that came to mind uh, that robert henderson used to use Uh, And it was very, very funny because we would be at the end of a program. So these are with kids from tough from tough backgrounds in Glasgow. It's like the end of the sixth day. We're exhausted. These guys want to drive home. They've been up on the Isle of Skye all week. And so we do a little debrief just to catch things while it was fresh. And Robert would always finish the debrief with an expression that was, well, great bakers bake great bread. None of us knew what he meant, but we were all too tired to ask. We just didn't <laughs> want to have another conversation. So we'd all just nod and go like, true. so true. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, of course, the story is deeper than that. I believe Robert's dad was a baker. But that expression, um, you know, in, in many ways, so I've had that as a signpost for 30 years and just didn't heed it, but... Uh, all of the energy that you can put into your reputation as a great baker, you know, which gets us all right. We'd like to be well thought of in our community. We'd like to slowly but surely become the guys we dreamt we would be. 
um, that I, whole identity piece. So that great baker thing can soak up a lot of energy. And one option we have is to just put that energy into the bread every time and just make it about the work you do, the quality of the work you do, and just kind of let everything else follow. So yeah, that would be a great baker's baked great bread, a wheat mm. or a reference for Saskatchewan. <laughs> Bringing it all home. I love it. Love it. And, per- and perhaps another place where people can connect with you is, is the fuck up nights that we've talked about. Yes. Right. And so yes. how often do those come? And, and for people say living on the Island, what, what, what time, like, are they monthly thing in Victoria? No, it's four or? times a year. Four times a year. We normally do it okay. four times a year. And, yeah. uh, I, the Viatech, V-I-A-T-E-C website has all the details of when the next one is. Okay. I believe the next one is the last week of January. Oh, cool. 2020. Okay, cool. We'll add that on our show notes. Yeah. Yes. Cool. Perfect. Well, I really appreciate the uh, everything you've given to to this conversation. Mm-hmm. And, and it's been both... It's been... A combination of teaching and learning from what I've been hearing from you is is just going through the process that you're in now and and being open with that. I, I mean we, we often we look to our guests who have uh, who have been through adversity or, or challenges and, and have kind of come out the other side and and share what they've learned and and I I was not as aware of, of the fact that you've you've been so close to to this l- great piece of learning and, and the fact that you were able to really um, dig into that and, and be open and vulnerable with it is, is incredibly commendable and, and I've learned a lot from it and, and uh, I appreciate that very much. Right on, me too. Well, that's the episode. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. If you liked what you heard here, Check out the website. ObstacleCoursePodcast.com. That's where you can subscribe, check out the show notes. If we have one request, we'd ask you to leave us a kind review and perhaps share this episode. It's not because we have fragile egos. Well. But because we want other great people like you to benefit. Speaking of great people, we have a list of people we want to thank. We've got our senior technical advisor, Andy Robertson, our media partner and web designer, Sticky Media, and of course, our host and snack coordinator, Judy Langford. Oh, peanut butter cookies. You can continue the conversation on Instagram and Facebook at Obstacle Course Podcast and on Twitter at Obstacle Pod. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Keep pushing through those obstacles.